together. What a blessing. What a privilege. Uh, call your attention this evening once again to the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter number 8. The book of Romans chapter number 8. We're last Sunday night, Jeffrey covered verse number 5, but we're going to go back and pick up verse number 5 and deal with verse number 5 down through verse number 8. And we're going to look along these lines this evening on understanding the unbelieving mind through contrast. Understanding the unbelieving mind through contrast. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 5. The Bible says here, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray. Lord, again, this evening, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to meet together. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together corporately. Uh, We thank you for those that are faithful to you and faithful to your word and faithful to be here together around your word. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you bless them. I pray, Lord, for those that aren't able to be here tonight for whatever reason. We pray, God, that you would touch them also. And, Lord, I pray and ask you that you would take this church and make of it exactly what you would have it to be. Lord, I pray that if we ever get in the way, get us out of the way. Lord, I pray that you would give us direction, give us Uh, Lord, that guidance that we need as a body of believers. And Lord, help us to remain faithful to your word. Help us to remain faithful to the scriptures. And Lord, in doing so, I know, uh, Lord, have confidence that you will guide us as you'd have us to go. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we would, uh, Lord, even as Brother Ricky mentioned before service, Lord, that when all of this stuff that's going on in our nation is over with, Lord, that we would be able to have things that would reach out into this community. Lord, what a blessing it will be the day that we see the first soul born again because of the work that you've begun here in this place and with this people. Lord, we ask you again that you would take your word, do with it what only you can do, and speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, These verses make it very clear 
that there are only two kinds of people in the world. There is a sharp line of distinction that is drawn in this passage of Scripture. According to this passage, there are those who have been justified and those who are still under the condemnation of God. There are those that are according to the flesh and those that are according to the Spirit. There are those who have set their mind on the things of the flesh and there are those who have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul wants us to be crystal clear that if we have been justified by faith, you will be sanctified. If you genuinely are justified by faith, there is sanctification for you. And there is sanctification working in you. And there is ultimate sanctification that you and I will have when we see him face to face. We know not what we shall be, but we, we know when we shall behold him, we shall be like him. What a blessing to know uh, that we have a promise of God that even though we fail him, even though we, we do not walk according to the things that we should walk, there will be a day when it will be complete in us and we will be like him. In fact, the, the ultimate outcome for the child of God is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. And Paul's going to deal with that as we get on down into this chapter. But understand that as we look at this, everyone who has escaped the condemnation of God has undergone a radical work of God in their person and in their life. Uh, you cannot have somebody as big as God move in and it might not make a change. You can't have you can't have what we dealt with this morning. You can't have the the matter of reconciliation happen to you and it not make a difference. It makes a change, and Paul deals with that. Paul lays out a clear contrast so that there is no confusion for his readers. There is a back and forth that he does in these verses between the two classes. There's a clear, there's clearly in this not a third class. Uh, years ago, uh, there was much talk about the carnal Christian. There is no such animal. Uh, you're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. There is no, there is no in between. There is no straddling the fence. And Paul is very clear as we walk down through this passage of scripture. It was said that there was actually three classes of people. First, there was those that were not Christians. Second, there were those who were Christians. And third, there were those who claimed to be Christians uh, but were still walking according to the flesh. 
There is a change. I'm not saying that you and I do not battle with things in our life. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is a heart change that happens in a child of God. There is a difference that takes place in a child of God. There's something that happens there that causes that child of God to realize they are wrong when they do those things. The outline in this passage of scripture is very simple. Paul basically outlined this scripture in such a way that uh, those who want to take time to outline everything and there's nothing wrong with that, it should be done. But Paul made it very simple to outline this passage of scripture, these verses that we're looking at tonight. And the outline of this scripture would be In verse number 5, there are two mindsets. Verse number 5, there are two mindsets. In verse number 6, there are two destinies. Verse number 7 through 9, there are two dispositions. So Paul lays it out so that there's two mindsets, there's two destinies, and there's two dispositions. Let's consider as we look at verse number 5, let's consider the two different mindsets that he shows us here in this passage of Scripture. In verse number 5, the Bible said, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Everyone in the world is of one of these two mindsets. Paul tells us, for those who are according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those that are after the Spirit have set their mind on the things of the Spirit. They are governed by their flesh rather than the Spirit of God. The flesh, if you will. When we consider what he's talking about here in this passage of Scripture, when he says that they that are after the flesh, those that are after the flesh, when he's dealing with that matter of after the flesh, he's referring to their carnal appetites, their sinful desires, their worldly pursuits, their material pleasures, their secular beliefs, their self-interest, and their self-promotion. That is carnally minded. If people are caught up in carnal appetites and sinful desires and worldly pursuits and material pleasures and secular beliefs and and self-interest and self-promotion, they are after the things of the flesh. They're not after the things of the Spirit. Their mind is set on these things and they have a worldly mindset. And we see that all around us. You don't have to look very far to see that happening and see that going on. Where Paul makes the statement here, he said, of the Spirit, the contrast that he draws here, and he said, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Where he's talking about of the Spirit, 
it notes a stark contrast that he's drawing between these two mindsets. There's a contrast in the middle of verse number 5. Paul makes it clear the distinction by using the word but. Look at what he says in verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He's, he's noting by putting that conjunction in there, he's noting the contrast between the two. He's given us that, that marker of that distinct contrast. He's now referring to, in the latter part of verse number 5, he's now referring to the believer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. There's a difference, there's a change, there's a contrast that takes place. There's something that happens when you become born again. There's something changes in your life once you've been born again. We all entered into the world living according to the flesh. Children live according to the flesh. They live according to the desires of the flesh. That's the reason you have to instruct your children. And you have to instruct them in the things of God. Why? Because they do mind the things of the flesh. Because it is their nature. If they've not yet been born again, they are concerned about themselves. Every one of us, before we were born again, we were concerned about us. We wanted to take care of us. We didn't want anybody taking our stuff. We didn't want anybody messing with what was ours. It was all about us. That was the mindset we had. We came into the world that way. It is only by the new birth that the truth of regeneration that we see here in this passage of Scripture is transferred from the fleshly realm to the spiritual realm. Things become different. You look at things in a whole new light. You see things differently. When you get born again, if you've been truly converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have seen things differently. That does not mean that you did everything different the day you got saved, but you saw things differently. You looked at them differently. There were things that you may not have considered to be very wrong that now you consider to be wrong. There may have been things that you did not consider to be so much right that you consider to be right now because there has been a change of mind. There's been a change of the mind that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been, we've been changed from the physical and the fleshly realm to the spiritual realm where we now live in the spirit. If you and I have had that change, although we may not be doing all the things we should do, 
And although we may not be not doing all the things we should not do, we still are walking in a spiritual realm. We still know what's right and what's wrong because God reveals that to us from his word. There's no wonder that the Bible tells us that we have no need that any man should teach us. The Holy Spirit of God will guide us, what? Into all truths. He's going to guide us into those truths. You and I do not necessarily need anyone to teach us. Howbeit, it is great when there are others around us and when we help each other along by what we see in Scripture. That's a great, that's a great blessing that we have to meet together corporately and be able to be taught from the Scriptures. There are many times that I come to church. There are many times that I come here and something is said or something is read or something is sung or, or, or just something that someone is sharing about what God did in their life changes my outlook and it adds to that spiritual realm in which I am walking. There is two different, two different mindsets in verse number five. Now look in verse number six, if you will. The Apostle Paul makes this statement. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul turns from looking at the mindset. And he tells us in verse number 6. That there are two different destinies. As we move to this verse of scripture, we see the contrast from the mindset that takes us to the life to two totally different directions, two totally different ways that we're headed. The Bible tells us here, it says that the one whose mindset is according to the flesh will end up in death. He says, for to be carnally minded is death. You and I know this to be a fact. You and I that are saved by the grace of God definitely know that this is a fact. Those who are carnally minded are on a road to death. What does the Bible tell us the wages of sin is? It's death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Understanding what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, that there are two destinies. He said to be carnally minded is death, but there's that conjunction again. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. The blessing of this that you and I see as the children of God is that we have changed from a direction that led to death, led to that eternal death, and we've entered into not just life, but we've entered into peace. 
What, what did he tell us in the very beginning when we were looking at, at the book of Ephesians? What, were, what was one of the things that happened in the book of Ephesians? You and I were brought to peace with God. We, we do not just have peace of God. We have peace with God. There now remaineth no more condemnation for us. There is no more condemnation. There is no more wrath. Those who are carnally minded, those who are fleshly minded, those who are still walking in their flesh are still under the condemnation of God. The book of John chapter number 3 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on to tell us that those who do not know God, they are still under condemnation. He goes on to tell us that Christ did not come to bring condemnation. We were already under condemnation. He brought to he he came to bring life and peace. And that's what he gave us as the children of God. The second half of Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 6 is a total contrast just like verse number 5 was. It refers to a true believer who has been born again. This life refers to that eternal life that is to come. That life is referring to that eternal life that is to come. There is a complete difference in the destiny of our lives that is ahead of us who belong to God. And then, as I've already said, we have peace. We've been given peace. And again, it refers not to the peace of God, but it refers to the peace with God. This peace refers to the eternal state of here it is. It's the same author that we were looking at this morning. It it brings us to that eternal state of that doctrine that we've been looking at on Sunday mornings. Reconciliation. Paul is dealing here that peace is referring to the eternal state of reconciliation and what we dealt with this morning, our acceptance with God. The acceptance that we have with God. What a blessing to know that we have this as the children of God. These two mindsets lead us in two different directions and end up in two destinations. There could not be a more dramatic difference than death and life. You can't draw a more dramatic difference. And that's what the Apostle Paul's doing here. He's telling us those that are carnally minded have death. Those that are spiritually minded have life. There could not be any more dramatic. There could not be any more more distance between the two. There could not be any more difference between the two. 
There's death for those that are carnally minded. There's peace and life for those that are spiritually minded. Every person's life is headed in one or two of these directions. You, you can't, there's no in-between. You're either headed one direction or you're headed the other. And, and, and may I just remind you that that spiritual mindedness is not something that you developed on your own. That's not something that you woke up one morning and said, you know, I think I'm going to be spiritually minded. That being spiritual minded came because of the quickening of the Holy Spirit of God which moved inside of you and now resides in you as the children of God. You became spiritually minded because the Spirit of God moved in. You didn't become spiritually minded because you decided to be spiritually minded. There are many people who think they're walking after the Spirit and they're walking after spiritual things because they're doing the traditions of men. They may think that they're being spiritual because they got up and went to church this morning. But unless God has changed their heart, they did that on their own and they did not do it because the Spirit of God was living in them. There is a difference. There are those that would try to mimic spirituality. But all those that are trying to mimic spirituality know in the depths of their heart that they do not have the real thing because it's too hard. They're having to keep up with this and they're having to keep up with that. And when things get difficult, when things get to the point to where it is crushing them, that real mind comes out. What you are walking in comes out when life becomes crushing. When life becomes difficult, the reality of where you stand with God will be made evident in your life. You'll either, you'll either walk away because the walk got too hard for you, or you'll continue to walk resting in the fact that that Christ is walking for you. It'll be one of the two. Every person in life is headed to one of these two outcomes, either eternal life or eternal death. Now let's look at verse number 7 and uh, through verse number 9. In fact, let's just look at verse number 7 and verse number 8. Verse number 7, the Bible said, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There are two dispositions in verse number 7 and verse number 8, we see 
the disposition of the unbeliever. There's the disposition of the unbeliever. This disposition, if you want to think about it this way, this disposition means the heart or the nature or the inner person or the bend of their life. It means the heart, the nature, the inner person or the bend of their life. There are three things to note in verse number 7 and verse number 8 that show the disposition of the unbeliever. First of all, look in verse number 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The disposition, the heart, or the direction, or the inner person that is the unbeliever is enmity against God. You and I may ask God why sometimes, but we ask God why with wanting to understand how things can be different in our life. We're not asking God why in a sarcastic in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way, but we're asking God, why? Because we want to understand. We want to have an understanding. Those that are carnal began to question God, and they began to question God with an arrogant attitude. God, why are you doing this? How many times has the question been asked, How can a loving God let this happen or let that happen? And you and I may ask that question sometimes genuinely wanting to understand just as a child asks their parents, why? Why can't I do this? Why can't I go here? Why can't this happen? But the disposition that we find of the unbeliever, the carnal mind, is enmity against God. The carnal mind, your carnal mind and my carnal mind wars against God. But the difference is, you and I have had the old man die and the new man has come alive. So we're not at enmity with God any longer. Remember the scripture we looked at this morning said that the enmity was gone. It's done away with. There is no more enmity. Why? Because we're not warring against God. There's not a war going on against God. We may not always do the things we should do, but in our minds the Spirit of God is telling us This is the direction you should go. This is what you should do. This is who you should talk to. This is who you shouldn't talk to. God is directing us. But the disposition of the unbeliever is not only that the carnal mind is enmity against God, but the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It's kind of interesting when we look at this. Look at that verse of Scripture. This, this kind of jumped out at me when I was studying this. 
In verse number 7 it said, Because the carnal mind is empty against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Look at what he says. Neither indeed can be. How many times have you heard it said, and how many times have I possibly said it myself in the past years of my life, that if we could have kept the law, we could have been okay. But you and I could not. The Bible tells us here that the fleshly mind, the carnal mind, is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It can. The carnal mind cannot be subject to the law of God. No matter how hard it tries, it will fail the law of God. And if it were able, and here's where we need to get to, if it were able to keep everything, if, if that rich man would have come to Christ and said, I've kept all of these from my youth, when he, when he made that statement and, and he lifted himself up in pride, the problem is not so much that we can't be a morally good person. The problem is we cannot do anything about our original sin. We cannot do anything about what happened to us in Adam in the Garden of Eden. We can't do anything about that. We can't change that. That's where we have to have Christ. Number one, you and I cannot meet, we can't even be morally good enough to have any standing before God. But even if we could, we could not do anything about our original sin. And because of that, our carnal mind is enmity with God. And it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Even when we think we're keeping all the law, we're not keeping all the law. You say, how do you know that? How many times have we had a thought that just with a snap of a finger entered into our mind and we did not entertain anything to bring it there. But that thought that entered our mind was a corrupt thought. How many times have we thought something in our mind just in an instant of time we thought something that we knew was wrong. You and I cannot control that. The Bible says that the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. We cannot. Even, even if we wanted to purpose that we're going to do everything that we can do, our carnal mind will have something come up that will not be subject to the law of God. It can't be. The Bible tells us it's playing with us. Not only that, but he tells us, look at what he says in verse number 8. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot, what? Please God. The disposition of an unbeliever is that the carnal mind is enmity with God. 
The disposition of the unbeliever is that the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And the disposition of the unbeliever is that therefore the carnal mind cannot please God. Our carnal mind, no matter how hard we wanted to concentrate, no matter how hard we wanted to try, our carnal mind cannot please God. And because of that, because of that, we are in a disposition with God. The disposition of the believer is this in verse number 9. Look at what he says in verse number 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, He is none of his. Paul's telling us here in verse number 9, he says this, to be in the Spirit. In the Spirit. That being in the Spirit only happens one way. And that is by being in Christ. You cannot... Be in the Spirit if you're not in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you cannot not be in the Spirit. Why? Because when you were placed in Christ, you were given all of the Spirit of God. All of the Spirit of God. You cannot escape. As a child of God, you cannot escape the Spirit of God. He's there. He's going with you. He's going to abide with you. He's going to reside with you. You cannot shake the Spirit of God. To be in the Spirit means to be in Christ. You have been placed there. You have been placed there. Where? In Christ. You have been placed in Christ By the Spirit of God. When you are in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And you cannot escape that. You cannot escape it. It's nothing you can get away from. It's nothing you can get out of. You are in the Spirit of God. The believer's body is the royal residence of the Holy Spirit of God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Paul says that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Therefore, you and I are in the Spirit. I want to give you a couple of things by conclusion. I want want us to draw some application from this passage of Scripture. To sum up these verses, the first half of verse number 5 refers to the unbeliever. The second half of verse number 5 refers to the believer. The first half of chapter number 6 refers to the unbeliever. The second half of of verse number 6 refers to the believer. Verse number 7 and verse number 8 refer to the unbeliever. 
and verse number 9 refers to the believer. The reason that Paul stresses this in the middle of his teaching on sanctification, and by the way, that's where we're at. Paul is in the middle of his teaching on our sanctification, and the reason that he stresses this in the middle of our sanctification is so that every true believer, so that you and I understand that every true believer is in the Spirit. That every true believer is indwelt by the Spirit. And that every true believer is living according to the Spirit and has set his mind on the things of the Spirit. I want to give you three points of application real quick. I want us to consider this. The first point of application is a self-examination. Every one of us needs to examine ourselves whether we are in the flesh or in the spirit. Examine ourselves. Are we in Adam or are we in Christ? Are we in the world and of the world are are we of Christ? Are we lost or are we saved? Are we unconverted or are we converted? It's easy. When you consider what Paul's talking about, it's easy to understand whether you're saved or whether you're lost. How do you think? What thinking comes easy for you? And I'm not talking about being callous to the things of God and allowing yourself to walk out in the world for a a period of time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you do what is wrong, what's the first thought comes into your mind? God help me. You and I, and, and, and we've mentioned this before. When you and I sin as a child of God, we sin willfully. We sin determinedly. We sin because we choose to sin. And when we're done with that sin, what is the first thing that crosses your mind? Why in the world did I do that? You may, you may think, you may think, I'm going to have a little bit of pleasure in this sin for this period of time. But when that sin's over, what's the first thought? Why did I do that? That's the Spirit of God. And you don't have that if you're not His. Secondly, not only is there a self-examination, but there is a self-renunciation. There's a self-examination, but there is a self-renunciation. If you realize that you are living according to the flesh, then you need to repent and turn away from that carnal pursuit of desires 
that you have in your life. You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. And you do that by renouncing that sin. You have a self-examination and we find out where we are in Christ. Are we in Christ or are we not in Christ? If we are in Christ and we realize that we are in Christ and we catch ourselves in a point of sin in our life, then we renounce that sin, we turn away from that sin, we repent of that sin, and we walk forward with the Lord Jesus Christ. Did, let me, let me be clear here. If we do find ourselves there, does it in any way change our acceptance before God? No. Your acceptance before God does not change. But if you do find yourself in a position where you've allowed something to creep into your life, you've allowed something to become part of your life, then it is time as the Spirit of God reveals that to you, it is time for you and I to renounce that and deny that and set that aside and repent of that and get back in line with God. You're not going to have the even, you're not even going to have the desire to do that. You're not even going to have the, the, the desire to renounce sin if God didn't produce that in you. And God doesn't produce that in you unless you are in the Spirit. There's the renunciation. You must renounce your old way of life. You must renounce your old way of doing things. You, 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 have you renounced? Have we renounced our living for the kingdom of this world and turned to living for the kingdom of God? The first is the self-examination. The second is the renunciation. Thirdly, I want us to consider self-preservation. You say, that's contrary to Scripture. No, it's not. Having renounced our old way of life, we now present ourselves to Jesus Christ to live in that new life. Our presentation to God. We're, we're, we, we've renounced that old way and when we've renounced that old way we're presenting ourselves once again to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must submit. You and I, if we are going to be obedient to walking after the Spirit, you and I must submit to the law of God and live in obedience to the law of God. What is the law of God? I'm not just talking about just the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the law of God. The ordinances of God. The things, the mandates that God gives us. In verse number 8 it says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But in contrast to that, those that are in the Spirit, their goal in life is to please God. What pleases God? What is it that pleases God? Trusting Him and living for Him. We must continually, as the children of God, 
If we're walking in the Spirit, we will continually, continually present ourselves to God. What did Paul tell us in the book of Romans chapter number 12 and verse number 1? I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, Paul is saying. He said, I beseech you, therefore, what? Brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's our reasonable service. We must be like the priest of the Old Testament. When the priest of the Old Testament went in to offer a sacrifice, he first had to offer a sacrifice for himself. We must present our lives on God's altar for God to use in any way that he chooses to use. In the Old Testament times, the priest presented a dead sacrifice. What did we say this morning that, that has happened with the Lord Jesus Christ? There is a New Testament, a new covenant. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priest presented a dead sacrifice. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God beseeches us that we present what? A living sacrifice. God wants a living sacrifice. The Old Testament was a dead one. The New Testament. Why is it that in the Old Testament it was dead and in the New Testament it's alive? Because we're in Christ. Because we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is alive. So we present ourselves a living sacrifice sacrifice before God in our daily lives. May you and I, as the children of God, give careful thought on how we need to daily present ourselves to God. Lord, here I am. Use me today however you want to use me. I'm at your disposal. The reason I'm at his disposal is I have been bought with a price. I am not my own. And that is what is spiritual minded. Carnal minded doesn't even understand that. But the spiritual mind is a willingness to present yourselves to God. A living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God. Not that you're holy. He's holy. Jesus is holy. Present yourself to him in Jesus. Present yourself to him. Lord, let me do something in Christ today that will make a difference in someone else's life. Let me do something in Christ today that would cause others to see 
Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege we've had to look into your word tonight. Thank you for the... This is the crux of Paul's whole point. Is that no matter what happens, may God get the glory for it. Yes. That was Paul's heart. That he wanted to see not himself lifted up. He didn't want them to have a plaque of his face posted in the back of the church of Ephesus saying Paul was the one who started this church. May that be our heart. That was the, the heart of Paul. He looked at God and said, forget me. May God get the glory. And may that be in our hearts that we see God as he is and say, forget us. To God be the glory. And what Paul says at the end of this verse is, Amen. Let it be so. Paul emphasizes his desire by saying, Let this be so. In my words, let this be so. In my life, let this be so. Don't let it be something that I'm just spouting off so people look at me and inadvertently give me glory because I act like I'm giving God glory. But let my life reflect what my words are saying. May God get the glory. Amen. And if nothing else, when we walk away from this first section of the book of Romans, and as we go into the practical aspects of what this doctrine produces, may that be our heart. May that be my heart. That when we think about God, when we think about our lives on a daily basis, that we're lifting Him up. That we're hoping that nobody sees us, but they see Him. And that we're hoping that nobody gets the glory in us, but the glory is given to Him. May we with Paul say, Amen. Let it be so. Let us be forgotten. And to Him be glory forever.